And Father, we are thankful for that today. We're thankful for that this morning. It is why we are here today is because we have been purchased with blood that is not our own. We're so thankful for Jesus and what he did for us. And we give you all praise and honor and glory for that today. We know that all of heaven is continually worshiping you. Thanks, man. For your greatness. And we worship you today as well. We, we look forward to seeing you one day. But I pray that you would help us in the meantime while you have us on this earth. And we don't know when our last day is going to be. I pray that you would help us to do your work. Because we are no longer our own. We've been purchased. And so we are your ambassadors. So we pray that you'd help us to be those people in these days. We look forward to looking into your word now. So we pray that you'd help us uh, to understand what it is you want from us today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, what a great day to be at church. Amen? Amen. You guys doing well this morning? Yeah? We're about to start a, a brand new series in just a few seconds, all right? Unflappable. I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to just uh, spend a few moments introducing uh, this chapter, this section, um, but I also want to give you a little bit of understanding about what was going through our minds as we were preparing this series and asking the speakers to touch on certain words within this verse. I'm going to take a slow walk through Second Peter chapter 1 this summer, all right? Through the entire summer, we're just going to work through thoughts and phrases for a particular reason. I remember having a discussion when I was growing up in our church a uh, little church down in uh, Roseburg, fairly fundamental circles uh, that it came from. And I can remember uh, on one of those uh, happy occasions when somebody had come to Christ, uh, the next few weeks they would be on fire. Anybody remember that in your little church? And all of the discussion that would be about that. And I remember in particular, I was just a little guy, I can remember uh, having a discussion with somebody who was observing the enthusiasm of somebody who had just come to Christ. And they said, man, wouldn't it be great if our entire church had that kind of experience? I just love the faith of new believers. That's what they said. And I began asking the question, well, why is it that we would identify only one particular stage of Christianity, one particular stage of faith, with enthusiasm. Is that necessary? Is it true that only new believers are excited to know Jesus? No, that's right. A no goes there, okay? <laughs> it's not. So what is it then that was causing so few of us to see so few new Christians come in and be enthusiastic about their faith? Could it be this? that the reason we didn't see more young, enthusiastic believers is that we didn't have as many old, enthusiastic believers. Amen? Amen. Now you're putting yourself in that slot. Uh-oh goes there. <laughs> what is it that causes an old, enthusiastic believer? That's the question for this series. Is it possible for you to fall in love with Christ, stay in love with Christ, make a difference with your life, and die anticipating seeing him with great enthusiasm, all right? No fear, no concern, not having all of the world's worries packed on your back as you go there. 
but clean, forgiven, excited, and causing other people to say, how do I be like that? Or as Peter says, what is the reason for their hope that's in them? Is it possible to be that kind of believer? That's what we're going to investigate this summer. I think it is worthy of a slow walk to say, what causes old, faithful, enthusiastic believers? Amen? Amen. There was a study done just a couple of years ago at OSU, Oregon State University. They did a study with uh, people in particular, and I think that maybe they were looking uh, just across the street at U of O saying, is it possible to have a healthy environment in a health-driven culture? What are the factors that are necessary in a life in order to, to live what is considered a healthy life, okay? And they identified four different factors. This is from the article uh, and the study. Um, four different factors. They examined if adults were successful in four areas that fit typical advice for healthy lifestyle, and they were these. Moderate exercise, a good diet, not smoking, and having the recommended body fat percentage. Okay? I know, that just slammed it right there. <laughs> what they found was, even in a culture that absolutely loves health, that talks about health, that worships health, that speaks about whether or not everyone's making healthy choices, only 2.7% of the people that they asked, that they studied, were successful in having a healthy lifestyle. And they said, we want you to be careful to understand we were not looking for marathoners or people who were more than just even weekend warriors. We were looking for people who just had a moderately healthy lifestyle. Only 2.7% of people had a healthy lifestyle. Now, to get this clear, about 70% of the people were successful in one area. They didn't smoke. But that brings up a good point. How many of us have success in one area and then peg it and say, therefore, I am healthy, right? We're going to look at a list. And on this list in 2 Peter are a bunch of things. And there may be one or two words on the list where you say, nailed it. Okay? I nailed it. But God looks at you and says, but that's not healthy. Doing great there. Morally excellent, but your brotherly kindness, not so strong, all right? Got agape love for a few people right here, but staying faithful in your own groove, not so great. There's going to be a whole bunch of words on here, and I just want you to investigate your own life. Do not study this passage for your husband, wife, or good friend, all right? It'll apply to them later when you get it right. Are we ready for this? Super fun to introduce it that way, isn't it? <laughs> we better be. Let's take a look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's stand as we read verses 2 through 11. And it says this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. By the way, that's an amazing phrase right there, verse 3. For by these, by his glory and excellence, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may be, become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, 
applying all diligence in your faith. Supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Now, now listen, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted. They've forgotten their purification from former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. In this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Do you believe that's true? You may be seated. Father, as we look at this passage, I do pray that you would open our eyes, that you would help us to be mindful not only of what Scripture says, but of where we lack. Help us to be able to see this passage and to see in it the call that you've given us, the upward call of Christ to faithfulness, but not just to be able to accomplish something, but Father, you are calling us to an experience, a joy-filled, enthusiastic Christian life that carries us all the way to the gates of eternity. Father, help us to be eager Christians that come through with a maturity that resonates to people around us, an enthusiasm for life that is born from you, from your spirit, uh, a joy that's unquenchable. Give us that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. In your notes, Dr. Linnell Johnson writes, from time to time, I'll share the word of the day, meaning that I'll select a particular word and expound upon its meaning and personal application. The word for the day chosen on May 27, 2016, identifies as an admirable trait for those who are confronted by tempestuous times in which we live. It's unflappable. The term is an adjective, meaning not easily upset or confused, especially in a crisis, imperturbable. Thought to have its origin in the mid-1950s, cool, calm, and collected would be another expression associated with being unflappable. Other synonyms include being at ease, clear-headed, level-headed, unruffled, untroubled. An individual described as being unflappable exemplifies unflappability, remaining composed and level-headed at all times, being impossible to fluster. This leadership value was first associated with Harold Macmillan, Prime Minister of the UK from 1957 to 63, whom Ferguson Values identified as the unflappable leader. Learning to become unflappable in all situations is an admirable trait, not only for leaders, but indeed all believers should aspire to maintain such a state of unflappability. I think of the opening lines of If by Rudyard Kipling. If you can keep your head when all about you, are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. To be unflappable is to be at peace, to be secure, unshakable, unmovable, undeterred from a God-given course of action. In this series, it's our goal that you would choose or that you would see God's plan to give you clarity, confidence, and consistency that you become a person that is not easily offended or off track, 
that you'd be unflappable. Now, just a couple of thoughts. Um, remember, the book of 2 Peter is written to a group of people that have received a letter before. The first letter was focused on how to endure suffering. All right, that suffering happens, that it is a purifier, that it is a benefit. Now he's writing to this group of people and he says, I want to stir up your pure mind and remind you over and over and over again of these things that are important. Super valuable. But one of the things that is not on this list that is necessary in order for you to arrive at a mature faith, you do not have to suffer to do that. That is not part of the ingredients. Suffering reveals whether or not you have been following, all right? Suffering gives us an opportunity to see God for who he is and to see what God has been allowed to make of our life. Suffering's not the key ingredient that grows you into maturity. It reveals whether or not you've been maturing all along. This is important. Do not wait until suffering happens to start growing up, all right? You are either maturing at that point or you are not, but if you start... You will start with a mess, all right? If you choose to get acquainted with your compass and lights on the boat as you are heading into the fog rather than earlier, you're going to be driving in the fog wondering for a long time, all right? You're going to be wondering if you're going to run aground in many wood. Do not wait until there is a crisis to start growing. These are the building blocks of a successful Christian life. That's what we're going to be looking at. Four things. My uh, goal this morning uh, was just to set up this series and to highlight this idea of diligence. And to get there, there are four aspects we want to build to. And I want us to start at the end and notice some things that God says this is going to be the results. Uh, when I've preached on this before, we've used kind of threefold observation. At the beginning of this passage, we have the resources. In the middle of the passage, we have the rigor, what we're supposed to be doing. And at the end of it, we have the results. Let's take a look at the results and work our way backward through the passage and say, if we want these results, and I think that every believer does, then what is it that leads to these results? Four realities that will guide you to an unflappable faith. First thing I want you to understand, and it's something that Erwin Lutzer said that really uh, penetrated on that morning that he was here, uh, and I want to amplify that statement, or modify it, I should say, and he said, feelings are not facts. Anybody remember that? Feelings are not facts, but this is something that is indicated in, in Scripture. Feelings are not facts, but they do indicate a direction. They indicate a direction. He says... Verse 8, at the very end, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you, and then it begins to go through some experiences that Christian can, Christians can have. You will not be useless. You will not be unfruitful. You will not be blind. You won't be short-sighted. You'll be sure of your calling. You'll be confident of the direction that you're headed. You'll absolutely see God causing you to flourish all the way to eternity until your final breath. So I have some questions, diagnostic questions that come from these observations, feeling statements. God says, I want you to take a look at these and say, are these qualities yours? Does this describe your experience coming up out of your guts, all right? How do you respond to these questions? First question, do you feel useful? You don't have to answer out loud. I just want you personally 
to reflect. When you reflect on your own Christian life, when other people are observing you in your walk of faith, would they say that you are a useful Christian? Do you feel like you are useful to others as a believer? Do you feel fruitful? It's not just whether or not I have something that I can do, but are there actively things coming out of your life that are causing others to remain steady, that are causing others to flourish, that are either causing new faith or stronger faith in other people? Do I feel like there is fruit in my life? Is the Spirit given access to work what He works in my life, the fruit of the Spirit, as well as the fruit that a believer should leave behind? Do you feel useful? Do you feel fruitful? Do you feel like you know where you're headed? Now this is a reaction to the statement uh, blind. It's literally the idea of having smoke in your eyes and not being able to see very far off. A believer who is well-founded and solid knows where the next steps of his life are going. He knows, you know what, this is what I believe the Lord is calling me to be about and he has vision that goes beyond his nose. Ever driven a car in the fog with poor lighting? Yeah? Very few of us drive faster. Okay? And if you've ever noticed what happens when your sight is restricted, you seem a little more erratic on the road, right? As you're watching just the lines on either side, and you're trying to stay between them, and you're not sure, does this mean it's a corner? I don't know what's happening. And you're, you're kind of going back and forth, sighting those lines. You're supposed to look a great distance off in order to smooth out the ride. Do you know where you're headed? Can you see any distance? Do you feel free from confusion in your faith? Are you confident of what it is that you believe? Are you confident that the faith is a real thing? Do you feel forgiven? Now, this is getting right to it. You know, it might be that you feel useful and you feel fruitful, but there are certain things in your life that have happened and you say, I'm really not sure that God can forgive me. Now, I want you to understand that in this room today, there are some of you who have professed faith in Christ who still believe that Christ cleans everyone else but you. It is not true. You're forgiven. You are clean in his eyes. The confusion here is not what God does with you. It's whether or not you have accepted that truth. Are you living in the reality that you are clean? You're completely forgiven. You stand clean before the living God. Do you feel pure? Are you sure of your salvation? It's interesting that it says, For in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior will be abundantly supplied. He also says, therefore, make sure of his calling and choosing of you. Do you want to know that when you have a dirty life, you will wonder whether or not you're even saved? Okay. Now, there are a lot of times where our kids will mess up and they'll wonder whether or not they are loved and the parent still loves them. Amen. We have that same experience with the living God. He loves you. He is sure of his calling of you. But you, when you are not on this trail, this is what he's saying. The trail that he has just described of all of these things being added in your life where you walk alongside God as he causes you to flourish. If you are not allowing him to cause you to flourish, you will question in the end of it all whether or not you're even saved and whether or not there even is a path to heaven. You will be concerned as the lights are going dim in the hospital room that you are not saved. This can happen to any believer at any stage 
And the test right here of what is it that I need to address in order to be confident, it's right here in this passage. What steps do I need to follow? There's a discussion that was recorded by Pat Sage between Wendy and Peter Pan. He's making some observations about it. Wendy has fallen in love with Peter and she confronts him about his feelings. Maybe you remember this part of the story. Peter, what are your real feelings? Feelings? Yeah, what do you feel? Happiness, sadness, jealousy, anger, love? Love? I've never heard of it. I think you have, Peter. I dare say you felt it yourself. For something or for someone? Never. Even the sound of it offends me. Wendy reaches for Peter in a loving gesture, and suddenly he runs away shouting, Why do you spoil everything? We have fun, don't we? I taught you to fight and to fly. What more could there be? There's so much more, she answers. What? What else is there? I don't know, she says. I think it becomes clearer when you grow up. Well, I will not grow up. You cannot make me. Go home and grow up. You and take your feelings with you. Now, we read that story, and we know that it's meant to be a little bit uh, allegorically. We're supposed to be looking at our own lives. Metaphorically, it's supposed to be applied. I'm not sure what the author intended uh, entirely with Peter Pan, but I do know what Scripture's intending for you to get here. There are some times where your feelings indicate whether or not you are on this path. And the question I have for you, is it possible that the reason that your feelings are a mess is that you refuse to walk the path that God designed for you. Are you struggling in your faith? The question I have for you is, where on this list have you stopped growing? Where have you stopped progressing? Feelings aren't facts, but they do indicate direction. Second thing, resources do not equal results. We doing okay? This is the way that you start heavy and make everyone rejoice that someone else is preaching in two weeks, all right? <laughs> Just giving you a master class in that. Resources do not equal results. Look at what it says at the very beginning. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our G of uh, Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us, get this, it has been lavishly supplied already, his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Did you get that? There is nothing that you lack that you need in order to become an empowered Christian. Are you aware of that? You have every single resource at your disposal in order to thrive as a believer. It's been given to us through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these, by his glory and by his excellence, he has given you precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you might become partakers. I've given you everything, I've brought everything to you in order that you can partake with me as you come alongside, all right? I just wanna make a couple of observations. I have some uh, cards here because th this is something you need to understand. These statements are not for super Christians, okay? This is just for a believer. If you are a child of God today, this is yours. Not for a super Christian. You don't have to work your way up. There's no special badge delivery system that we give you, okay? 
There's not a special offering that you have to take. And oh, now you can be in the super Christian class and you begin to grow. There's not a secret compartment in your MacArthur study Bible that will cause you to be mature, okay? Yes, I think there was some concern there. Some of you thought you had purchased the right Bible. The Bible is good, but there is no secret compartment that will cause you to thrive. This is all about what God has already given you, and you're just understanding it as you come along. I want you to imagine for me, for, with me for a moment that I actually was able to give you this morning a free trip to Disneyland. All right? Oh, yeah, somebody's excited. All right, I'm going to this side of the room over here. Man, if I had something free, I would give it to you. So whoever is excited about that, I want you to imagine just for a moment that I gave you this free trip and I I came down and presented this card to you and that free trip to Disneyland was entirely yours. I've given you the money, all right? I've got everything set aside, made special arrangements with Disneyland. When these people show up, you are to cheer louder than average. Give them the most giant set of ears. Put them on the trip first. Everywhere you go, let them get on the rides without waiting. Miracle. (laughs) The only thing that it requires is, I want you to come alongside and tell me, when are you going to go? Now, at that point, is it still a free trip? Yeah? Now, some people are hesitant. All right? Can I tell you something? If you just have to tell me when to go... It's still a free trip, okay? If all that is required is that you show up and say, I would like to go on this trip. Here is the date. It's still a free trip. You're coming alongside. That's the idea. These things will be generously given to you if you just show up. The trip is entirely free. Now, Disney may not be your thing, all right? So, What if I gave you a free meal at a buffet, all right? Now, here is the question. I go to the buffet with you, and you look at all of the food, and you say, man, this is the most delightful thing in the world. I say, yeah, all that you have to do is just belly up to the line, all right? Go through the line, take the food that you desire, Put that on there. All of this is yours. I have paid for it. Anything that you want to eat, go in there. And you might look at me and say, well, is it really free if I have to put the grape in my mouth myself? (laughs) If you're not putting the grape in my mouth for me, is it really a free meal? What would you respond? It's still a free meal. Let me help you understand a little bit about what I think is actually going on when people say, is it really free? Okay? What if I, this morning, were to instead offer you a free walk down 14th Street in Salem? And all you had to do at night was say when you wanted to go, all right? Maybe that's not as clear for you, okay, 14th Street. Maybe I could offer you this morning a free poke in the eye. (laughs) All you got to tell me is when and where you would like that poke, okay? Okay. We can do it in public, we can do it in private, whatever you would want. I will poke you straight in the eye, you sign up. And in fact, this is a free gift I can offer to you today. (laughs) I can afford this. Now, why is it that you will not avail yourself of the free poke in the eye? You don't want it. Can I tell you what I think the problem is and why so many people are not experiencing everything that God has for them in the Christian life? 
It is not because God has pulled some magic trick and hidden it. It's not because you didn't get into the right class. It's not because God's caused some mystery to come blind you to those things and wants it to be this extra hard work so that only the really, you know, wonderful people will achieve it. Do you want to know why it is that we don't avail ourselves of all that God has for us? We don't really want it. Just let that soak. If in that list you said, there are times I don't feel useful, there are times I don't feel fruitful, there are times I don't feel forgiven, I'm not sure if I feel free. I'm not dwelling on what it is that God has for me as much as I'm dwelling on, I want this, this, and this. I want to be able to hold those two things in my hand, but I will not let go of my desires. I will not let go of my way. I will not let go of my plans, and I'm trying to hold these both in tension. God says, this is the plan. If you're going to go to Disneyland, you can't stay home. If you're going to go to Disneyland, you're going to miss some time in Salem, in the rain, and all of the misery. <laughs> You've got to let go of one of those two realities. Yeah, it might be the first sunny week in Salem in a long time, but it's not going to be better than your trip. You have to let go of one and hang on to another. We do not love the idea of letting go to hang on to this. We don't want it more than what it is we're hanging on to. And we're hanging on to stuff that leaves us feeling unpure. We're hanging on to stuff that leaves us feeling useless. We're hanging on to stuff that ruins the process. Does that seem clean? Resources don't equal results. There's a third thing that I want you to see in here. And that is that your effort can be undone by your priorities. You might say, well, I want the results. I just don't seem to see them. Notice what it says, for by these he has granted his precious and magnificent promises. Now for this very reason, verse 5, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, you could read in there, with diligence, supply knowledge. And in your knowledge, with diligence, supply self-control. Have you noticed that there's a process here? Start at the beginning and work your way up. If you have a problem in any one of these areas, you go back and say, where is it that I lost my way? And you got to go back to the foundational issues and say, have I applied diligence to make sure that I got this right? Imagine for a moment a man who every single year, year after year after year, is fixing the cracks in his walls, the problems with his roof, the separation that he has between the rafters, and he's dealing with all this, but never in all of his years, 15, 20 years, does he address the foundation. Imagine if you just fix the foundation, and then the cracks in the walls and the problems in the roof and all the other things that people can see go away. You start back at a lower part of the process. Now, it's not as visible, and it's not as fun, but it is the central issue that will cause the cracks to cease. Is it possible that you're really good at one or two of these areas, all right? With all diligence, supply moral excellence and moral excellence knowledge and self-control. You might be a person who is really good at self-control, but you are self-controlled about all the wrong things. You're not morally excellent. You don't have biblical knowledge of what it is God would have you be focused on, so you're trying to correct everyone around you, and all the cracks in your life are showing, and you're putting putty over those things because... You're focused on the wrong stuff. And God says, hey, let's go to the foundation. Let's get this right then. You'll be self-controlled about the right thing. 
Then you'll have brotherly kindness with the right people. Then you'll have agape love to the right application. Go through this process. It is building blocks here that take you from a foundational faith through a process to successful Christian living. That's what Peter is saying. But you can undo the process. You can get to one part and have perseverance for a long time, but not be focused on the right thing. Fourth reality, and the final one here, is that success requires diligence. There's two words here that are really important, and I would underline them, circle them in your Bible. For this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply. Okay? That word for supply, same word in verse 11. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, what he is not saying, and I want you to be very clear this morning to hear this. He is not saying, if you work the right way, then I will make sure that you are saved. This is not working out your salvation. What he is saying is, if you don't show up to the party, you won't see all that has been supplied for you. You be diligent to show up and you will see all of the abundant provision that is already there for you that has been taken care of by God. But many people, believers, do not see the beauty of the provision that God has for them in their life because they haven't been diligent to walk alongside him. Those two words, diligence, to actively bring by the side of. You come alongside for those benefits. Do you want to see diligence? There's a simple way to, to get this picture in your mind, open a bag of candy at the children's ministry, all right? Those kids will be at your side looking for an opportunity, okay? You open a bag of candy, those kids are diligent to let you know they're available for any treats that may drop out of the bag. It'll disappear. God says, I've got all of this for you. Man, you just show up at his side. You don't have to do anything more. He's just saying, are you available to me? And when you're available to me, what you will see is all the provision that I have for you. Secondly, apply. That's to bear the expense of. It's actually a term that comes from Greek city-states. And it was the idea that a group of performers would come to an area. They would learn the area and they would begin the process of training in that little city-state in order to put on a show that would bless the masses. And there would be somebody, uh, there would be a champion of the arts that would come in and actually pay and provide for everything necessary until that event had been fully supplied and had taken place, until the, the place was blessed. So until they had perfected their craft and presented it. This is the importance of this. Every single one of these stages are not just a, a word that you need to be knowledgeable of. What it is saying is, you be diligent, come alongside and see what God has provided, and you stay at every single stage along the way, fully provide, make yourself available at that stage until you are successful. You stay at moral excellence and you just take a look around and say, what is it that is morally excellent? What are the things I need to have in my life? What is it that God says is morally excellent? And you stay there until you've had success, and then you begin to say, oh wait, what does knowledge add? To moral excellence. What is it that I should be focused on? What is it that I should separate? One of the things we do in our enthusiasm, and we'll talk about this next week, is we tend to focus on moral excellence. We begin to look at everything that we want to get rid of in our life, and then we begin to look at everyone else around us and begin to tell them what they need to get rid of in their life, right? And knowledge comes in and says, wait a minute, some of the things you're getting rid of aren't as important as the things you've left in. 
And some of the things you're looking at in other people's lives might not be as important to God as they are to you. Knowledge comes in to complete that so that you're a Christian people like to be around. Yeah? There's a process here. Here's the question. I remember a believer that touched my life when I was growing up, a, a man by the name of Nick. In fact, he was the guy that I said, man, Lord, please don't ever give me cancer because I watched him go through it. He had to clean out his throat on a regular basis. He had a stoma when I didn't even know that those were possible to survive while you had them, right? And he began to talk to me. And I watched Nick's life as he was nearing the end. And I watched a guy that was always enthusiastic, eager to be at church. He couldn't sing the songs. But he loved God's people. He loved what God was doing. And I saw something in him that was a delight when I was a kid. Lord, I may not want what he's gone through, but I do want what he has. Can I ask you something? When people see your life and every single one of us will go through stuff that reveal us. Amen? Everyone in this room will. Will people look at your life and say, man, Lord, give me what they have. My prayer is this summer we will study what God has already provided and you will say, I have it. Amen? I have a confidence. I feel useful. I feel fruitful. I feel ready to go out there and live for God without any concerns. I'm eager to see him face to face. I can't wait. And if it's not today, I'm going to live a delighted Christian life. That's my prayer for you, is that through this summer as we study these things, you will see that area in your life where there is a hang-up and that you and God will be able to set that aside. You'll be full-fledged followers, enthusiastic about your faith, not because it's brand new, by God's grace, there'll be new believers this summer. But the only believers that are in this church that are excited shouldn't be new believers. Amen? Amen. There'll be enthusiastic believers in every stage of growth. That is our prayer. Let's pray. Father, we ask you that you would help us. And even as we begin to describe these things, I can feel in our own spiritual hearts, we lean forward and say, Lord, give me more. What is it that you have for me? What is it that will cause me to thrive? What is it that will cause that faith to explode in my heart in such a way that people can't deny it and I thrive because of it? Father, give us that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.